Russell's reserve, aged tenure, and then fired unceremoniously. How are you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I feel, oh, I feel, I feel great. I don't know what, what the uh, intro music to the episode was. I think I'm going to go with Vindicated. So the people mm. who, uh, who just listened, they heard, but now it, it just popped in my head. Vindicated is how I feel. Uh, I was very wrong over the weekend. I did not think that this moment would ever come. I thought that slimy old Jerry Colangelo was going to get his withered uh, fingers around the throat of the Philadelphia 76ers and Josh Harris and demand that his son be kept in power. But now it's over. Our national nightmare, our Philadelphia nightmare is over. The Colangelos uh... have been dethroned and the hinky sends his regards. I would retroactively uh, warn you uh, against using Vindicated since I think Mike Levin tweeted that a year ago. And it's Max lest, Rappaport. Yeah, it's okay. Yes, lest we be, lest we be accused of uh, stealing someone else's stick again. Um, anyway, so the news today. We are recording Ugh. Thursday afternoon. We were supposed to record Wednesday morning, and you texted me yesterday uh, about the overnight report from Woj saying, hey, why don't we wait? It looks like Colangelo could be fired today. Uh, that was yesterday. He was not. So we've been waiting. We've put off two separate shows, assuming that we would record a show. Uh, this started last Friday, and then it instantly be uh, you know completely outdated. Uh, so we've been waiting for this moment. Um, Brian Colangelo is out, officially resigns, uh, official statement from the team saying uh, that he is, they've kind of allowed him to resign the independent investigation by New York-based law firm Paul Weiss, Rifkind, Wharton, and Garrison, which has also done a lot of work for Joshua Harris's Apollo Global Management. Um, they had undertaken the investigation, and along with this Sixers press release, uh, with the statement from Joshua Harris announcing that uh, Brian Colangelo was stepping down or resigning. I'm trying to find the exact wording here so I get it right. Um, uh, resigned, effective immediately. They sent out a release from the law firm with their findings. It was about a two, little over a one-page document that they sent out and basically recounted the facts that most of us knew. But here's where the, the going the the going got good. Um, last two par- Last few paragraphs here, I'm going to read them. As a result of our investigation, we do not believe that Mr. Colangelo established a Twitter account or posted content on those accounts. The evidence supports the conclusion that Ms. Barbara Botini, Mr. Colangelo's wife, established a Twitter account and posted content on those accounts. When interviewed, Ms. Botini admitted establishing and operating the accounts. Forensic evidence corroborates her admissions. We cannot conclude that Mr. Colangelo was aware of the Twitter accounts prior to the May 22nd press inquiry. Mr. Colangelo denies any such awareness, and we have not observed any forensic evidence establishing that he had knowledge of the Twitter accounts prior to that date. We note, however, that our investigation was limited and impeded by certain actions taken by Ms. Botini, including her decision to delete the contents of her iPhone by executing a factory reset of the device prior to surrendering it for forensic review. Our investigation revealed substantial evidence that Mr. Colangelo was the source of sensitive non-public club-related information contained in certain posts to the Twitter accounts. We believe that Mr. Colangelo was careless and in some instances reckless in failing to properly safeguard sensitive, non-public, club-related information and communication with individuals outside the Sixers organization. Um, well, hold on. Now, I, 
So immediately after that, Brian Colangelo released his statement, which I, I would argue presented an entirely different story, or at least somewhat differently, uh, as he begins, While I am grateful that the independent investigation conducted by the 76ers has confirmed that I had no knowledge or involvement of the Twitter activity conducted by my wife, I vigorously dispute the allegation that my conduct was in any way reckless. At no point did I ever purposefully or directly share any sensitive, non-public, club-related information with her. That, my friends, is what we call a lie. So there are two, I have two issues with Brian Colangelo's uh, follow-up statement. But real quick, I would say we are probably in agreement that the Sixers, despite them the length that it took them to reach this decision, which took like a little bit longer than it needed to, and I think them going radio silent for a week was, you know, in hindsight, not a big deal. But I think they probably could have used a little bit more transparency throughout this process some sort of strategic leak, some sort of public availability. I think some of the things that Joshua Harris said today could have been said over the course of the last week as they were sorting this stuff out. Um, that said, I think we're both in agreement that the Sixers, you know, were really in a no-win situation here and, and handled themselves today appropriately. And I think this this statement from the law firm is, you know, about as much as, you, you know, we're going to get. Um, where I think we both have issues is with you know, Colangelo's statement naturally. And this family just continues, continues to be awful. Um, to your point about him, essentially, it's um, a lie. Let's contradicting it, himself. Like, it, ha- it has it, to be. It has to be a lie. It has to because, be. Because look, now, now, if I like to break down language, so if, if I really, you know, dive into this statement a little bit, you know, he says it wasn't directly or, or purposefully. Okay, so am, am, I, am I then to ascertain that the information that his wife had tweeted, which would have included multiple Twitter accounts to multiple beat writers and bloggers saying, ask Jaleel about a failed physical. Ask Jaleel about a failed physical. Am I to believe that that means that his wife merely overheard Brian on the phone with someone else or intercepted an email herself and she just sleuthed her way into this information and then subsequently went on on a, you know, somewhat of a vigorous kind of tirade, uh, you know, at beat writers trying to get them to ask those pointed questions. I'm sorry, but I don't find that, you know, in any way, shape or form believable. And, you know, I think it would have been better. I understand that he needs to uphold whatever kind of image or whatever kind of credibility he believes that he could still hold in the league uh, by releasing a statement. But the the concept that you already had this thing ready to go, you knew that they were going to call you reckless. You knew what their statement was likely going to include. The fact that you would go out and lead off with this paragraph to me, is is alarming, to say the least. An, in, an independent investigation found you guilty of being reckless with this information. And the concept that his wife, for some reason, would have gone out and on her own tried to, you know, find out the these uh, un, unknown to the public uh, bits of information, like the Okafor uh, failed physical, like the way that he may or may not have felt about Joel Embiid and his maturity, or about faults and being in his own head, I don't find any of this believable. And for him to lead off, you know, with this, I think is is kind of dumb. I think it would have made a lot more sense for him to say, you know, my wife, my wife and I have had a conversation. I did not know that a lot of this was going on. We had conversations and it should not have gone public. And, you know, we're going to work through this as a family. And I think that would have been fine. This whole I, statement is just way over the top. 
And well, nobody's yeah. buying it. Nobody look, in league circles is buying this. Well, look, they come across as liars on, on many different levels here. Um, I think even going back to last week, Colangelo claiming that he was being set up. Clearly, if he, if he, if he didn't know his wife was doing this, he clearly found out about it about an hour after the ringer initially contacted the Sixers, considering the fact that all three of those three of the accounts went dark and went private at that moment. So at that point, whoever was in control of the accounts was made aware of this and he he realized it. And then to go on and claim from there that you were being set up um, when you had to have known at that point, if even if you had no prior knowledge that it was your wife, you know. Again, he he continuously left himself no out, and there's just no way to come back from that when it's your wife. You know, is your wife trying to set you up in defending you? Like, it just doesn't make sense. Um, I think think the reason these statements were all sent out by the Sixers, by the way. One email contained, uh, and let me make sure I got it right here. One email was the first one that went out uh, just moments after the Woj report, and it came from Sixers PR, and it contained both the statement from Joshua Harris along with the law firm statement. Um, exactly, that was at 1155 at 1240. So this is uh, 45 minutes later, um, 20 minutes before the press conference. Uh, Rob King, who was one of the Sixers uh, media relations managers, sent out a statement on behalf of Brian Colangelo. So I think there's a little bit of ass covering on both sides here and also probably a little bit of professional courtesy. Again, I'm just guessing here. Uh, First and foremost, I suspect that the Colangelo was made aware of what was in the statement, which is why he specifically addresses the language about reckless and direct. He uses their same language there. My guess is it was a courtesy to say, hey, this is what we're saying about you. You know, we'll give you the chance to respond and we'll send out your response on your behalf. I think he probably has to respond that way because, as they said, you know, there will be lawyers. If there was, you know, some sort of sensitive uh, health information here, and I'm not sure if, you know, failing a basketball physical is included in that. I would assume so. It's no. um, Okay. But well, there was, regardless, I, I saw I saw a legal thing about this, and and no, like even that kind of thing, um, you're not protected by um, the normal um, parts of HIPAA if you're an NBA player because it's um, it's a, I a believe thing I, to discuss. I believe that only relates to um, his ability to play a game and disclosing publicly why it may skewer to trade. Regardless, there's obviously some legal issues here. There's also an issue, so whether he had a contract with the Sixers, not to divulge, you know, private sensitive company information that could be damaging to them. So he, he may well have to lie here and cover his ass and say that he didn't directly divulge this information because my guess is there's some level of lawyer fighting for him to get the remainder of his contract, if not some sort of settlement out of this. Um, so while it, it casts him as a liar, I think it's probably a necessary thing for him to have said. Um, where I really take exception with his statement, uh, this is the paragraph about his wife. It's the second paragraph of his statement. Uh, I think this is about as poorly done as it could have been. Uh, quote, her actions were a, were a seriously misguided effort to publicly defend and support me. And while I recognize how inappropriate these actions were, she acted independently and without my knowledge or consent. Further, the content she shared was filled with inaccuracies and conjecture, which in no way represent my own views or opinion, which was obviously a mistake. We are, are while this was obviously a mistake, we are family and we'll work through this together. Um, I, the morning after this came out last week, I said, if he wants to keep his job, they could pass this off on, let's say his wife and she has or to, son. Yeah. 
she has to swallow the sword, so to speak, and sit on the sword, uh, whatever that is. That that sounds both sound sexual. I was I was gonna say um, it, take they take do. the sword, but okay, just let the let the sword go. Um, you know, but that would be to save his job. He's already lost the job here. There's no benefit to throwing his wife under the bus. And as I've said along all along, and I think I said it on the last podcast. If it was, you know, look, it, it was his wife, right? He should be upset with her to a degree. Um, but I think there's a way to handle this publicly, whether he was trying, whether he kept his job or not. And that's to say, look, all of us in this sport have families who who take criticism of, of what we do harder than we do. You know, they don't sign up for the, the light that we the spotlight we put ourselves in and my wife takes it hard. So as I'm reading this statement, I actually thought it was going to go like this. Her actions were seriously misguided ever to publicly and support me. And while, and honestly, I thought it was going to say, and while I, you know, appreciated the support. Exactly. Exactly. Instead, he further twists the knife and explains how they're inappropriate and independent. And then even goes further by claiming that, you know, like you just said, I didn't divulge this information. And oh, by the way, all of her views and opinions are wrong, uh, even though she was probably just you know, parroting what he said, uh, aping what he said. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I can't imagine. I don't know. I can't imagine dinner is going well in that household tonight. This is, I mean, if you want to wonder what kind of people I'm- the Colangelos are and all the things we've thought about them, of course, we really don't know them. Th- I think we've gotten a, a great light into it with we'll get to in a second the report about jerry colangelo with brian from the beginning denying his involvement but claiming you know conspiracy and then you know not just owning up to the team and it taking this long to admit that his wife did it and now completely throwing your wife under the bus like screw these people you like i i can't imagine you know you you think she doesn't feel badly i'm I'm glad the nba you know saved us from that scumbag sam hinkey to put in this uh, this real class act, who uh, not only threw his wife under the bus, but then backed it up, went over the body, and then put it back in drive, and just made sure the deed was done. I mean, real, I'm just real I don't know what act. you have the gain out of this. There's nothing, think... Kyle. And here's I, I I don't want this to go down uh, the the wrong kind of rabbit hole, but like the the NBA and their players association have a good working relationship, and the concept of women you know, making uh, their way into an NBA front office is certainly at the forefront of, of common thinking. The, um, the NBA PA's executive director is Michelle Roberts. She was on with JJ Redick recently. Um, there is certainly an idea or a thought that there could be assistant head coaches that are women coming into the league uh, in the not too distant future. Josh Harris himself in the press conference today said uh, in finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright in reference to finding a GM for t- the team. Not only did I think that Brian Colangelo did a poor job of trying to make his pitch to the league to bring him in or give him another shot down the line. I think that the um, the way that he made his wife sound, the way that he kind of dismissed her her support insofar as, you know, um, I, I think the reason that he said the inaccuracies was so that um, he could try to salvage whatever sort of relationship or whatever kind of perceived relationship had existed with like the Embiid's or the Fultz's of the world and saying like, that's where the inaccuracy lied. He never had an issue with his players. Um, that would be my, my guess as to why he said it, but to think that the rest of the league and to think that, you know, what has been a rather progressive league as a whole is gonna just kind of, you know, pass over that little bit of, of information or that, that line I think would be you know, uh, an exercise in, fu- in, uh, in futility of sorts. Like I, I do think that, uh, that certainly 
uh, might have driven the ultimate sword through the uh, the heart of the Colangelo dynasty in basketball. It, it I, does it does not help in any way. I agree with you, and I, I look. I, I'm I think you absolutely have to address the fact that it was your wife in the statement. I, there's no problem with that. I mean, she screwed up, like plain and simple. No one is saying, hey, because because she's a woman, like you know, she's not allowed to be responsible. But good God, like I mean, she was out there trying to defend him. And yeah, I mean, it totally backfired. <laughs> but I, you know, again, there's a way to say this. She was coming from a good place. She, you know, she takes these criticisms to heart. She was trying to defend me. And again, maybe there's a legal thing here. But I think the way to save his, really save his bacon, save his uh, reputation, and say, look, we all go home and vent about minor frustrations at work throughout the course of a day. You know, I was unaware that you know my wife was you know, using those in public forums. And that's all you got to say. And it allows you to say it wasn't you, which which it seems like was the case. But at the same time, it, you know, it allows you to show some level of sympathy and regret. And I think, you know, that's how people would identify with him in this situation. Like, all right, you know, okay, this is a horrible situation. Everyone goofed, screw him, go away. But God, God, he looks like an asshole here. And now to further, you know, complicate or, you know, further, the matter on the Colangelos and this family. Um, this is Kyle Newbeck for the Philly Voice reporting. Now, to be fair, this was uh, outright denied by Joshua Harris at the press conference, though, you know, I'm not it's, sure. It's, this a, it's a precarious position that Harris was in by, anyway, go ahead. Correct. I'm not sure there's the sort of thing where, you know, you're ever going to have someone say it's correct. Here's uh, Kyle Newbeck's report from the Philly Voice. Quote, with one of the stranger sagas in Philadelphia sports history coming to a close, the Sixers are left to prepare for what may be the most important offseason in franchise history with the lead decision-making role wide open. The delay was, in part, due to internal and external politics that ownership had to weigh. More than one person who spoke to Philly Voice on the condition of anonymity suggested Jerry Colangelo tried to intervene on Brian's behalf, comma, threatening to interfere with club relationships around the league. Um, this is your current special advisor to the owner as of this moment. Um, what a snake. I mean, again, uh, we're going to we talk about anyway, it this, yeah. as if the report is true. So just to be clear, Joshua Harris did say this wasn't true, but we're going to proceed as if it is. As of, as of this very specific moment, this very specific moment, the, the on the Sixers front office, Brian Colangelo is not there. Basketball operations, the top line is head coach Brett Brown. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen that before. In between the ownership and basketball operations is special advisor to managing general partner Jerry Colangelo, who has, as Harris explained, a contract with the rest of the year. And when asked if he would stay on, uh, he gave a very diplomatic uh, answer, which amounted to well, a big it fat all depends on... fuck no. <laughs> well, he does have a contract going. Like, uh I think These are Sealski. the snakes Sealski, that were think, cast think, upon think, the team. By I think Sealski was the one that uh, that asked that question. I was I was very grateful that he did. Yeah, I mean, look, we we knew the second that Cherry Colangelo was brought in, uh, you know, we knew that the the clock on Sam Hinkie was going down, and like, what did Jerry Colangelo exactly have to show for, uh, you know, the special advisory role that he had? He got his little boy brought in to be the GM. He di- he disposed of the or deposed of Sam Hankey. Uh they made what? Uh the he Jerry Colangelo himself forced a trade for Ish Smith. I mean that I think is all that Jerry really contributed to this organization. An Ish Smith trade for what two second round picks if I remember correctly. 
and getting his son in power. Now, you can hate Sam Hinkie, and I'm sure that there are people who still think that the way that he went about this rebuild in this process was the wrong thing to do, and they look like idiots now. But there are people who didn't like the way that he stripped it down to nothing. We've talked about in the past that there were agents who were upset because they wanted their mid-level players and their lower-tier veteran players to get signed to you know some sort of a respectable contract. Hinky multiple times didn't meet the salary floor. They had to, um, you know, per the CBA, whatever money uh, exists under the salary cap floor, you have to do uh, um, equally distribute to all the players. It happened, I think, at least twice under Hinky's tenure, and agents weren't happy because they thought that you know not only do you, like you can understand the idea of wanting to lose, but you could have brought in some of these vets, use some of the money, and you know maintain relationships and i think if hinky goes back in his mind and, and thinks about it like that's maybe a spot that you know he he was uh was very wrong in doing it would have done something to at least get out in the public eye uh have a couple of of little pressers or a couple of little bit of media availability bring in some lower tier guys to just fill out the back end of the bench and and keep those relationships with, with agents fine there are people that didn't like hinky but the way that the nba disposed of him the way that they forced Jerry Colangelo upon us, even the the biggest fan of U.S. men's basketball could say, all right, Jerry brings some kind of legitimacy. If you were thinking about trying to bring in a free agent, then maybe it would work. But we knew that wasn't what was going to happen. We knew that that, that wasn't what the long-term plan was. And the second that Hinky resigns, it was, what, two days later, they brought in Brian Colangelo. And we were supposed to believe, and this is where I think Harris being the the face of this organization, or at least being the face of ownership, is doing a disservice to that ownership group and to the fans as a whole. You know, they sat up there and and said the day that Brian was brought on board that Jerry recused himself of that entire process. It took them two days, Kyle, to find a GM to replace Sam Hinkie. Two freaking days. When Josh Harris was asked today, when are you going to have a new GM? The goal has to be to have somebody in place for the NBA draft, right? Or for the start of free agency, right? Josh Harris said, well... You know, these things take time to find the right guy. You know, you Good have point. to you have Good to point, go Russ. you have to really take your time in making a decision like this because it's such an important summer. You son of a biscuit eating bulldog. You sat there years ago and after two days you said Brian Colangelo is going to lead this team forward. Two days. You didn't make anybody the interim president. You could have gone into the offseason and picked the right guy. And instead, you let Jerry and his snake hands lead you to hire his son, the epitome of nepotism, and now, a few years later, you're going to act like a GM search in order to be done correctly and thoroughly. It requires time. Dude, the NBA draft is coming up. Free agency is coming up. You like you should not rush it, but for you to now sit and, and make this statement after your past practice of a two-day hire to bring in Jerry's little boy, you are a disgrace, and you should not be the one who's out in front of the public. Not only is Josh Harris a poor public speaker, he comes off as a guy who has no idea what's going on. And I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because I'll bring up like six other things from the press conference, but he should be ashamed of himself and he should not be the face of this ownership group. I don't care if he's the majority stakeholder. Somebody has to be able to do a better job of saying, you know what, this is our mistake. And not only are we going to do it right, we've made mistakes in the past in timelines and we are going to get this thing right, rest assured. That's all you had to say and you couldn't even do that. So um, I think that was that was well done. I do wish you would. I wish you would curse. I feel like I feel like your point. If the, a bitch there would have gotten so much more of a landing, stuck the landing. But uh, I thought I thought that was a point well said. Um, 
I don't think either of us are, are sitting here arguing that they uh, rush this hire. But uh, yeah, I mean, like I think they know who they're going to go after. Well, yeah. Look, I mean, it sh- it should be Griffin, and we'll talk about that. But um, yeah, I mean, look, you you look at what happened last time and how quickly it happened, and then you try and fight off the charges as if you had a legitimate GM search, which is obviously complete bullshit. And you know, again, I mean, this is a situation that I don't know how much. Let's assume the league thrust him fairly heavily on on Harris. I'm not willing to put all of this on Joshua Harris. I don't think you can force, foresee something crazy like this happening. And quite honestly, you know, Jerry uh, Brian Colangelo had done a very debatable job. I think communication on some things was lacking. I think the you know deadline decisions were lacking. Obviously, um, you know, there's there's you know a weird element with his family. Um, but, you know, it, things were going fine. I don't think anyone could have foresaw this. And in a way, I felt bad for Joshua Harris until I saw him get in his helicopter. Um, but, oh. you know, I felt bad. They, I no, Philadelphia love owners the, that love get the copter. Philadelphia the copter. owners that get in or uh, that reside in New York that come into Philadelphia in a helicopter and are detached owners. Uh, we have Josh Harris and we have yeah. Jason and uh, Jay Sugarman. So that's that. Don't even don't even talk to me about owners and helicopters. That, you know what though? I, let me defend Joshua. Harris I mean, it's cool. It's cool that you it's, have a helicopter. It's great. It's, it's, great it, 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 it's cool, and I'm glad that he was at least at the press conference. It would have been an awful thing <sighs> to not have ownership and to really throw Brett out there by himself. But like. Uh, Come on. Let man. me say let me say one thing about Josh Harris. I I mean look, he does not come across well. Um and I think you make a great point by, you know, the hypocrisy and now taking the long view on the GM thing. Um I don't subscribe to the fact I did early on, I no longer do, that he doesn't care. I mean, I would not say he is detached. He is at almost every home game. And for a guy who lives and works in New York, I know I mean, you have a cop. I'm sorry. I mean that as he's detached as far uh, as like the day to day processes and the day to day things that are going on with the team. I mean, hold, hold I, on a I, sec, though. I, I don't know if that's the case more than I mean. There's a lot of owners in sports who aren't. You know, Jeffrey Lurie is is our example. Um, you know, he's someone who's very heavily involved. Ed Snyder's the guys we think of. A lot of owners in sports are not at all involved in the day to day and not nearly as publicly visible as those guys. I mean, look at someone like Mark Cuban and all the other interests he has going on. Like, yeah, you could see him courtside at Mavs games, but I mean, that dude is a you know a celebrity in his own right and has his own interests. And many owners are that way. So I don't really put that on Harris. I mean, he is at most games. He is available for this sort sort of thing. He said, like you know, like like him staying up to one a.m. was like you know, ooh, he was sneaking. But he said, I was literally up to one a.m. that night, and this is taken up most of his waking hours i believe him he also said that he was unaware of any of these allegations or charges until the ringer piece came well out. I according think to the ringer I, piece hold I on under- uh, yeah like uh, hold on according to the ringer piece uh the sixers spokesperson and whether that was uh, dave schaller or patrick reese that they re- reached out to said the only two people who knew about those questions about Colangelo were Colangelo and the person from the Sixers media department. So if, if assuming that is true, that would make sense why Harris was not made aware. Um, this, you know, because this is a sensitive thing. Like, hey, Brian, someone's going to write this about you before we go telling everybody who works in the building, I'm going to come to you. I mean, so it's possible Harris was not made aware of it. I would think he would have known before the story came out. But again, I, that would be like the least crazy part of all of this. But all I wanted to say about him was I think it's a it's a he got a raw situation here that's only very partly his fault. 
Um, certainly something you can't foresee. And I just don't think it's true that he's totally detached and, or that he is just doing this to flip the team. Um, since they've bought the team, the Sixers have gotten more time and attention uh, than they ever had under Comcast or Ed Snyder. And they were always a stepchild with that organization. And whatever the motives are of these guys, whether United, you actually like the way Joshua Harris goes about his business, what he does, what has made him rich, what this ownership group, you know, how they, you know, they are these outsider billionaires to an extent. Uh, I, d- I will say they have made a concerted effort to push this team forward and make them one of the more progressive organizations in sports. And I think overall, they've done a really good job. They've built a desirable practice facility. The team is relevant. Not Again, they've backed into a lot of this by hiring Sam Hankey and, and willing to be bad for a while. But the team is relevant. The branding is strong. They are selling tickets. They, uh, you know, from a business standpoint, are well positioned. So I... I I don't think it's fair to say they completely don't know what they're doing. I think when it comes to basketball relations, I think their biggest problem is they are occasionally extraordinarily tone deaf to their own fans. Um, and occasionally, you know, and, and maybe in at times a bit over their head on the basketball side of things, which is again, why the Colangelo's were here. But I actually think Joshua Harris, this is a passion project for him. He doesn't need the money from the Sixers or from selling the Sixers to be exceedingly wealthy. Clearly, he cares more about them than the, than the Devils. Um, I don't think he, as we've talked about, I don't think he's a cool person. And I think when he's in a room with other billionaires, the thing that makes him cool is owning an NBA team. And I think the thing that would really make him cool is having an NBA championship ring. And I, 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 I don't think him cheering down there on the sidelines is bullshit. I think he genuinely no, I, yeah. cares about this team. So that's my me, only defense me, yeah. of the guy who has a helicopter. When I'm saying detached, I mean from the daily goings on with the team, which I don't exactly expect him to have as a billionaire owner of you know, by the way, three teams. He's got yep. the uh, the Devils, the Sixers, and he's a partial owner of Crystal Palace in the EPL. So, like, of course, I wouldn't expect, you know, if I were a Crystal Palace fan, which, of course, I'm not because I'm not an idiot, um, I wouldn't expect him to know the, the daily goings on. But I, I would kind of expect to some extent, you know, um, one of the questions that had been asked that um, Anthony had actually pointed out in Slack that he found troubling, I did as well, was the question that came up about, well, if Brett is the interim um, president of basketball ops operations, are we then to believe that he's going to have final say on the player selected? And Harris made it sound like, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, he mentioned that it would be him and David Blitzer and um, Brett Brown, and he mentioned a fourth person. I forget who the fourth person was. I'm, I'm assuming it was the director of scouting. Um, then that those four will likely come to a consensus, and he said it's very rare that they uh, disagree with one another. Now, that to me is a somewhat troubling answer, I, th- I would have thought that if, if it were me, I would say, you know, as the owner, I would like to, you know, be fully uh, in line with the understanding or understanding of the process of how these guys, you know, came to their big board. And then ultimately, we're going to take the best player available like that to me, I think would have been a better answer. Say that, you know, we're going to utilize our scouts. Our scouting team hasn't changed. Our director of scouting is the same. Our coaching staff, is, you know, including Monty Williams, who they brought up a couple of times. Um, these guys are all going to come together as a collective. And they're going to come up with a big board and we're going to take whoever is the best fit for the team. And that'll be a collective effort. He could have just said that. But I, the fact that he brought up one of the other owners and he said that, you know, the four of us might have to go off into a side room to have a conversation if we disagree. That just didn't feel like somebody who is totally in tune with the the normal goings on in, in a, you know, in a professional sports uh, war room of sorts when you're going to go make your pick. But I, I just didn't like the way that he answered. It. I thought that sounded like he didn't really know what what usually happens, uh, you know, when it comes to the draft. I think that's a fair critique, uh, definitely. Um, you know, I, I'm now hesitant to to criticize uh, involved owners because uh, 
had a gleeful time making fun of Jeffrey Lurie and uh well yeah that's backfired so um look I, I actually think the draft is the least of their concerns here the draft is a coin flip regardless you can have the smartest basketball guy in the room and at 10 you're gonna have the choice between three players that you really like but they also have a little bit of a downside and uh you know it's 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 a crapshoot as the who's going to be what. I mean, like today, the Greg Oden, Kevin Durant story is back in the national consciousness. You know, back then, Greg Oden was a dominant, dominant college player with the potential to be an all-time great if it were not for his knees. Um, last year, Markel Fultz by everyone probably but Danny Ainge was the consensus number one pick. So, you know... It, it just because you have one person making the decision doesn't mean it's going to be right. So I, I don't think the draft is really where there's an issue here. And I honestly, I don't even think it's free agency because the players you should be targeting are painfully obvious. Uh, and it's all about just selling them on the organization. You know, they don't need any basketball expert to sit in there and, and debate the merits of LeBron James or Paul George or, you know, Kawhi Leonard. Um, you know, I think you can rank those one, two, three and, and proceed in, in that order. Yeah. In that order, I think where the problem could be is if you're wheeling and if there's the opportunity to wheel and deal on draft night or make a trade to to free up some room in free agency or get creative to construct a roster or to placate LeBron James. You know, those are things It's easy for the team to sit in a room and say, all right, let's just come to an agreement on this guy at 10. We'll take our best shot at it. Okay, Um, but you do need someone being your point person, your negotiator. Um, and honestly, just now, the person who signs me, off and makes these offers. And that, like, is that Brett Brown's job? Well, let and me jump in on maybe, this. Maybe, but he doesn't so, have experience doing the that. The thing that I, I don't think enough people are talking about is the fact that Monty Williams, who was brought in to be, you know, Brett's lead assistant, um, he had, you know, the last few years, he'd been serving in San Antonio's front office as the president of basketball operations. So if you're looking for someone who has an, a you know, working understanding, the, you know, the, the big trade that I think everybody is expecting to go down at some point or to at least be explored is one for Kawhi Leonard, who happens to play for San Antonio, who's somebody who would know us. who's somebody who would know the ins and outs of the Kawhi Leonard situation and be able to give you inside intel from a, fr- a former front office member of the San Antonio Spurs. Well, that, my friends, would be Monty Williams, who has experience in coaching alongside Greg Popovich, you know, in and helped develop Kawhi Leonard. That would be Brett Brown. If a deal goes down, I would assume that Monty Williams is going to have to do, you know, is going to have some kind of role in that. And that is something, you know, when we talk about bringing in coaches, everybody seems to think, oh, well, he used to coach for New Orleans. He took them to the um, the playoffs twice. And I think he was he a coach there for four years or six years with the Pelicans. Doesn't matter. Um, but he came out of a front office role. So, you know, between him and and between like Ned Cohen, who, by the way, had been somebody that was hired out of uh, the NBA offices, I think so was uh, Mark Eversley. When you put all these guys together and and the talent evaluation skills and, and development and, and such that you think that Brett Brown brings to the table, I'm not worried about them making a, a trade on draft night. I think that they have more than a competent group that can do it. The real issue comes down to, you know, you've got the draft and you have free agency and the draft comes first. If you decide to deplete a lot of your depth or trade some of these assets in a trade for Kawhi or whomever you decide on draft night you could acquire you know, that decision that you make could adjust or could affect who ends up becoming the GM of this team. You know, if if it's a great deal, it depletes some of your depth, but you've brought in another superstar, the job gets even more attractive. If you decide not to, the only, the only thing I think would be somewhat worrisome is if a deal's out there, but you're not sure because you worry about how it could affect your GM search or how it could affect free agency, then I, or you have, you know, you have that deal on the table and you decide not to make it because you're afraid of, you know, what that could do to the the GM candidate pool, then I think that would be, you know, a, a problem. Maybe that's, 
that's where you you know start to raise a couple of red flags. I, I don't know, but I'm I'm not concerned about them being able to make a, a deal on on draft night. I think they're more than competent and more than capable of doing it. Fair enough. I guess I guess it's just about who actually has the ultimate say. And you know, if that is an owner, then you get best. You know, you get team arrivals, and the owner ultimately has the say, like a president would. Um, okay, you know, maybe that's the way they do it. Yep. Um, while we're speaking of GMs, there, the there go was, ahead. There was one uh, one th- quote that I, I really uh, a question that was asked at the press conference. If if it was if what you were going to say was related to what we just talked about, go ahead. Otherwise. It, um, it is. It is. Okay. Uh, so, yeah. So while we're on the topic of GMs, the obvious question about Sam Hinkie came up. I forget who asked it. It was somebody from CBS Sports Radio. I okay. forget who it was, though. Um, jo- here's, this was Joshua Harris's answer. Um, I'm reading here. We have a lot of respect for Sam and appreciate how he positioned our franchise. And then he, you know, gave some boilerplate comments about, you know, we'll do the best. We haven't really. He started to say something along the lines of we haven't started our GM search and he caught himself Which yet. Is awful. Um, yeah, I think he was, I think he would, I think they have. And I think he probably just caught himself because he was trying to tap dance around the question. A lot of people on Twitter interpreted this as, you know, Hey, maybe there's a chance he didn't say no. CBS sports radio WIP is running with that narrative, uh, at least through their Twitter account. From what I could tell, I would say for a guy who, you know, generally is pretty flatline when he's speaking publicly, I would say that, uh, Harris's demeanor was extraordinarily dismissive of Sam Hankey and borderline annoyed with the question. And, you know, you can go back and watch it. Kevin has the video on our site from the Periscope. I'd say it's somewhere around 10 minutes in. Look at Harris's demeanor on the answer. He knew the question was coming. Uh, He gave the answer he had to about Sam Hinkie. We appreciate it. But there was nothing, there has been nothing to date from the Sixers that have led me to believe they would ever seriously consider bringing him back. And there was even less in the answer from Harris uh, to indicate that. This was not him dancing around them bringing him back. This was him, uh, I wish I could just say no, but people will hate me even more. So let me say something nice about Sam and get on with it. Uh, I don't think there's any chance of this happening. Because if, if you when you're asking that question, right, like the reason that Harris could have been dismissive is, is twofold. One, because it, it kind of calls into question the fact that, you know, you made this decision to force him out and bring this guy in who ultimately you had to part ways with. So it kind of calls your decision making into question. And number two, uh, and I would assume that this has already been discussed in small circles or whatever is I find it very hi- highly unlikely that Hinky ever gets back into the NBA period. And it certainly isn't going to be with this ownership group. You know, uh, I agree. Like Hinky's out. We said this, I think, on the last show, but like he very clearly seems to be living that perfect life that he'd always wanted to, where he's he's doing advisory stuff. He's he's teaching at Stanford. Like, I don't think he has any interest in getting back into the NBA full time. He would need to know that the ownership group uh, is 100 percent behind whatever his vision is. And like, it doesn't mean that it's going to be the same kind of, you know, process rebuild that the Sixers had. But yeah, I think this organization burned him. And ultimately, you know, could he look at it and say, hey, this is exactly where I kind of wanted us positioned and I want to go in and like finish this job? Sure. But for a guy who's been in such high demand in the private sector and, you know, in other sports, including the NFL with the Denver Broncos, like, no, I, I don't think that he is even open to the possibility. And I think part of the resignation and the dismissiveness of it is knowing the fact that even if Josh Harris wanted to bring him back in, Hinky might not even take that call or give it any kind of serious consideration. So I think that's part of it as well. Um, and then this, I, this I kind- also don't think this, there is, to be clear, I don't think there's any interest on the part of the Sixers either. I, th- I think that yeah. would go both ways. Um, so this kind of goes into, you know, the last thing that I found really interesting. Uh, Josh Harris had one of the worst quotes 
in this press conference, he mentioned the fact that, you know, outside of Colangelo now, they've had really good continuity in the front office. And Mike Sealski, who had whiffed on his first question, really came back at, at um, Harris with this. And he said, well, that's not exactly fair. You've had four regimes, you know, with whoever gets brought in uh, eventually. That'll be four different GMs in six years. You go back to the the um, DeLeo and Doug Collins days. You, of course, had Sam Hinkie. You had Brian Colangelo. Now you have a fourth. Four out of six years. And he, he very pointedly went on the attack and said, why have you been unable to keep a, a GM consistently in this position? And it, it was a great question. It was well it was well asked. And it, like ultimately, uh, it, it was something that I think like um, in terms of, you know, Josh Harris not being a very good public speaker and and certainly seeming quite uncomfortable in that moment. It was a terrible quote to give. It was a terrible soundbite to give. And the fact that, you know, one of the Philadelphia media members was able to jump on it was awesome. So there was that. And then, of course, you know, Kevin had asked the other question that I, th- I thought, you know, kind of brought the whole thing home, which was ultimately how much does a GM really matter? And this is something that you and I had talked about, I think it was last week. And I said, I, I don't really think that there are players who are going to care who the GM is. And you and I kind of went back and forth on this. I think your stance had been more a player is going to care if Brian Colangelo keeps his job. But like ultimately, you know, Brett Brown, you know, kind of agreed with Kevin and said, you know, it, it really does kind of come down to the coach, the system, the players. When you have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid in the room to make a pitch, you know, that's all you need. And even Josh Harris kind of talked about J.J. Redick last year and the fact that, you know, they took Embiid and J.J. out onto the court at, you know, 1 a.m. right after free agency started to kind of, you know, give the idea of what it would look like to have a pass kicked out and all that. And you know that that's exactly how they're going to pitch Paul George and how they're going to pitch LeBron James. So, you know, that, those by the way, takeaways. that, by the way, I would say was Har- one of Harris's best press conference moments I can ever remember. It yeah. sounded, if I'm remembering correctly, it sounded like he was also there um, yeah. at that time, which, again, 1 a.m. in the middle of free agency. You know, I don't think he's completely as detached as the way a lot of people you know, might want to might want to put it across. But other than him sounding, oh, and they were out there and passing the ball around. He was looking for a basketball phrase. And the best he came up with was uh, passing the ball around. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it's better than if he had awkwardly said, like, they were really passing the rock. I mean, look, it was but it was a human answer. And he said, you know, Brett's out there and he's selling it. And all we've heard lately, I think Brett Brown is one of the best faces of of an organization um, that exists in sports right now. I mean, even when we get frustrated with his, you know, in-game coaching matters and stuff like that, every time you hear him speak, you want to be like, damn, I love him. I want to hug that guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's really good at it. Um, So they could do worse in that situation than having Brett there. Um, I I forget. What was the point you made prior to that? I had one little follow-up on whatever you were talking about. It was the four four GMs in six years. Uh, Yeah. Continuity in that position. I would say, yeah, I mean, and bag, remember, Ned bag. Cohen, Ned Cohen, and, and company were brought in also as part of that. You know, apparently, like what had been perceived as planting guys from the league office within the team to bring stability. Go Side on. note: Sports betting law just passed New Jersey, thirty-seven to zero in the Senate. Um, um But um, yeah, look, I, I think that's a bad quote. But at the same time, we've had two really unique situations here. Um, you know, these weren't kind of traditional. Like, yeah, the Leo. Okay, you're done. We're bringing in who we want. Um, but Hanky leaving was not like, we don't like the job this guy's doing, we're firing him. This was, again, I think part of it was the league, the, and the Colangelo filing is obviously its own thing, or res- resignation. So I think it's unfair to put it on the ownership group, like, hey, you guys keep firing, you can't settle on a GM. You know, you could argue they made a terrific choice in Sam Hanky, and then they made kind of a choice they had to make in Colangelo, and it backfired. So... Yeah, there's not continuity there, but I'm not so sure it's the fault of who whom they've hired. I think, you know, 
they ultimately they did hire Hinky and enable him to do what he did. And I think everyone just got a little too squeamish after a few years. And and that's how we're where we are today. But, um, you know, I don't know. I thought, look, I I thought he handled himself pretty well at the press conference. Obviously, Brett Brown was good. Um, you know, we were pretty critical of the Sixers over the last uh, week here. And I think for good reason. I honestly feel like they, they there, there could have been some sort of something over the course of the last week. Um, ultimately they made the right decision. It probably could have been made a little bit sooner. Um, maybe there was a lack, maybe there wasn't a lack of urgency. It was he, if he was up to 1am that, that night, clearly they understood the, the ramifications, but ultimately they got to where they needed to be. And I thought they handled themselves well today. Uh, I will note that initial press release went out at 1155 AM and they called a 1pm press conference. Um, I, I, I wonder, you know, that's, Certainly, maybe that's only when Joshua Harris could fit it in and they were scrambling to even give an hour's notice. Um, mm-hmm. It feels a little bit like there weren't a lot of media there. Derek Bodner tweeted that he walked in as the last question happened. I think Tom Moore blew out his tire. Kevin just happens to be across the bridge and was there by 1230. I called him at 1230, asked if he was going, and he was pulling in the lot, um, which is unbelievable. Yeah, He's unbelievable. But, uh, you know, I, I think they were trying to limit the media attention and the circus buildup potentially li- limit the um, number of like live national TV ESPN stuff. I don't know if it was on ESPN live. It was certainly on Comcast, but you know, I do think they were trying to kind of tamp down the, 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 the circus nature of it all, but I thought they handled themselves. Well, I thought Joshua Harris answered the questions as he needed to. This really wasn't their fault. Um, it, you know, you can't blame, you can't blame the team for this one. This is a weird situation. The Colangelos, to me, from the father, the husband, and the wife, they all look terrible. Like, all, all three of them just seem awful in this regard. Um, they've all handled themselves awfully in both directions. Um, you know, I just can't imagine a worse way for any of this to have gone down for them. So it is what it is. Uh, but, yeah, what a crazy, what a crazy story. What a crazy feel story. Great. I feel is so there any other side of this? Yes, that we haven't I, talked about. I have a uh, a good old Italian idiom for uh, for Brian Colangelo and for his wife. Ms. Prediction: Bertini. The Sixers don't hire and anyone who's even remotely Italian uh, as as the next GM. So <laughs> After here's the Leo and Colangelo. I think they're done. Here's your Italian lesson of the day. I voluto la bicicletta, allora pedala. You wanted a bike, now pedal. The English equivalent is you've made your bed, now lie in it. And this is exactly. Uh, what I think we've all hoped, those of us who supported Sam mm. and were anti-Colangelo from day one, this is this is exactly what we wanted. And it's a shame that it had to happen uh, right before the you know probably biggest summer in the history of the Philadelphia 76ers. But boy, do I feel good. We'll probably cover uh, you know different guys that could be in uh, position to go for this GM job. Um, but man, David Griffin worked out that last contract with LeBron and LeBron's agent, Rich Paul. Uh, to come back to Cleveland, and he's out there as as one candidate. So we'll have to see going forward if uh, if there's any interest on on his part, at least, to uh, you know be brought in and interviewed for that position. But there there are a lot of good candidates out, including um, Boston Celtics assistant GM Mike Zarin, who had been in contention for the job back in 2012. He ended up removing himself from consideration then. But um, there's going to be a lot to to go over with this, so it's exciting. Sure will. Should be an interesting offseason. Um, that's, all, uh, that's all I got here. All right. So uh, this has been Crossing Broadcast. Ding dong. The Brian's dead. 
we will be back. I don't know when, Kyle. Maybe I, I don't think we need to do a show Friday, right? Yeah, no, this will be it for this week, barring okay. something crazy. Uh, we'll be back, I guess, on Monday. So don't forget oh. to go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast, Know the Goalie, a Flyers podcast, Crossing Broad FC, and it's always soccer in Philadelphia. For Kyle at Crossing Broad, I'm Russ at Joy on Broad. We will talk to you again next week. <sighs> Redemption, vindication, and uh, bye-bye-bye. <laughs>